0: No. No. All All right. I'm going to trade you two sheep for that wood. Tell me, honey, does that sound good? Because all I really want to do is take away longest road from you. Yeah. Welcome, Welcome to the tabletop Duty. session. Welcome, to welcome, dude, welcome to these Tabletop Sessions. Hello, fellow gregarious geeks and gamers, and welcome to the 36th episode of the Tabletop Sessions podcast. This is your monthly dose of tabletop gaming stories and shenanigans. My name is Elias, and with me is the molded, sculpted, tactilely satisfying Hippocrates. This is the... Used to be a board gamer, Ipo. Hi,
1: guys. Well, you're not know, playing anything recently? You were just on vacation. I was on vacation and after vacation, uh, I'm too busy at work. I'm, I'm so busy that the last two Tuesdays, I didn't go to my board gaming group because no. I was tired. <laughs> so there are two options to see this uh, problem one is that I was really tired because it was crazy busy at work. Or I'm getting old.
0: Yeah, I was gonna say I, I <laughs> the uh so my parents just came to, to visit. Uh there's things. Oh okay, now, few, no, no, don't
1: months. don't do this comparison, me with your parents. No no no, <laughs> no
0: it's not it's not to my parents. <laughs> <laughs>
1: it's a comparison
0: to me. So um the the the, the weekend before they came uh Dima was in Jordan for a wedding so I was alone my friends were getting together to meet up for a game and I had so many chores to do before my parents came I had like a list of things to do and I looked at Dima was like oh are you gonna go meet up with the guys and I was like no I can't I can't go play a game and clean the backyard that's that's too much I need to take like a nap
1: after I clean the
0: backyard so I totally I totally feel you I um, I'm also
1: because remember ten years before that was not a thing. Like you're gonna clean the backyard and play board games.
0: Yeah, I'll clean the backyard while playing board (laughs) games.
1: I feel that uh, as we're talking, we're just losing listeners.
0: (laughs) Nobody wants to listen to old people complaining about these newfangled games, but that's what you're getting.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And I'm not sure if people want to hear old people talking about board games.
0: Yeah, no, seriously. Old people talk. So how's your back these days? (laughs) 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 Uh, Anyway, on that note, if you do want to hear more old people talk, we did launch a YouTube channel. It's nothing exciting. It's mostly just all our episodes. So a lot of people use YouTube to listen to podcasts for some reason. And if you're one of those people, that's now available. So... The link for that will be in the description and it's basically tabletop sessions and um, you can check that out. There's also a couple of playthroughs. I'm trying out some solo gaming and putting it up there. So I found that when I was solo gaming, I talked to myself the entire time. So I was like, eh, I'll record it. <laughs> so I just I put it down and I talked to myself while I'm doing it and I've been uploading them and it's been, it's been fun. People seem to like them. So Uh, check those. I've been playing a lot of solo games because of that. Because like I got to like remember the rules before I record it. So I do like one or two games to like shake off the rust and then I play it on there. So I've been playing like Oniram, Castellian. I've just been playing a few games of Deep Deep Space D6 and starting with the lighter ones. And then uh, I'm going to eventually brave like a coin game like Cuba Libre wow, or like really? <laughs> or like Mage Knight or Renegade or something but uh wow. we're starting with simple ones so yeah
1: nice nice and we can play something uh, online later maybe
0: that's a good idea yeah yeah like TTS does TTS that's my big idea Tabletop Sessions does Tabletop Simulator
1: <laughs> oh TTS oh, that, that is what it means oh yeah I've this. been
0: messaging in the group chat <laughs> Apparently, he was oh, not been clear on it. You know, yeah. I
1: was driving and taking the messages. I was like, what, what is this? TTS makes TTS, okay. Yeah. <laughs> have, you, have you
0: seen any of the... I assume you haven't watched any of the solo playthroughs? No, No, no. no,
1: not, be,
0: not Because I, I still haven't got a reaction from you based on how I sign off every episode. So uh, <laughs> no. when you get a chance, w- watch the Castellian one. That's the better one so far. Because mm. I was learning. The first one was an iron... Wasn't as good. I took feedback from like whoever watched it. And then I was like, okay. And then I adapted it. So, so like in the first one, like when I was thinking, I would just go, hmm. (laughs) And Dima was like, instead of going, hmm, why don't you tell us what you're thinking about? I was like, oh, that's a good idea.
1: (laughs) Oh, that's some, uh, some useful uh, feedback.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Almost like, uh, You know, the most obvious thing in the world. I should have really picked up on that one. But anyway, they're out there. If you don't want to watch them, don't watch them. If you want to watch them, hey, watch them.
1: Yes, sorry, man. I didn't have the time. The last two weeks were crazy, Uh, as I said before. And uh, before that, I was busy just playing hegemony. Like (laughs) I don't play. I feel like I... No, I don't feel like it. It's like for the last forty or fifty days, I was just playing Hegemony.
0: I like how you I, say you're busy playing Hegemony.
1: <laughs> no, like, no, I mean I was busy. You're the, never
0: you're never busy playing a board game. You're free, so you're playing a board game. Yeah, true. <laughs> yeah.
1: So I was busy the last couple of weeks, but before that, I I was only playing Hegemony. I have like uh, I have now eight plays in, in my list. I have played. All different combinations, and uh, you know, solo, three player, four player, uh, all the different factions. I have taught the game to probably at least ten new players. Wow. Uh, it's a very long game, and uh, it usually it's like six hours long with teaching. And it's a Greek uh,
0: conspiracy. You, you've, you've teamed up with this designer to promote his game, for sure.
1: <laughs> Could have been. Seven out of yeah. eight uh, times that I played, I have to teach the game also. Because Whoa. there was always a new player. Only once we managed to play three players with another two players that already knew the game. Yeah. Uh, I was also, at the same time, every day I was checking for new Posts in the Board Game Geek forum of hegemony. Uh, and they were, there was like this big uh, discussion, as always, about which faction is the most powerful. And uh, they were, you know, people saying, oh, the capitalists are very weak. Uh, in my group, uh, it's always the working class uh, winning. Other players were saying, oh, no, no, the state is always winning. So in every group, there was a different opinion on that. So I started. I, I think by
0: itself, kind of dissuades the point, right? So, Exactly. So uh, what, the way you play, maybe one faction might be more powerful, but if you play a different way, then it might end up being... Which is a good thing. That's a good thing in board
1: games. So. Exactly. Yeah. But still, I started a, a spreadsheet that of course everybody, can. everybody can go... And I post it in board game BoardGameGeek, so everybody can go there and post their scores, and we keep track of them, and uh, we have some percentages of what faction might be more uh, 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 powerful in a three player game or maybe less powerful in a four- player game and things like that so we nice. do we do this uh, but still we were uh, we were having a great time are you still
0: uh, as high as you were on it like you were saying like nine out of ten are you still
1: at that level yes my only concern now is that I'm really tired after playing the game <laughs> <laughs> but that happens because we play on a Tuesday on a working day so yeah. uh, last, last time we started like six thirty, uh, teaching went to seven thirty. you know we play in a cafe so you have to yeah. order things and uh, there's a uh, uh, things going on at the same time around you and uh, we were playing up to one uh, o'clock in the morning Mm. Uh, it was like 1230 that, uh, and the waiters are just waiting for us, but, <laughs> but I feel terrible about it. Uh, it was the last this round. This is sounding that... like
0: a common theme now, because the last time you talked about this game, we had the same conversation about waiters waiting till 2am
1: for you. But so, that time it was Ramadan, so they were actually working to till But, but I,
0: think that, I think we should look at this and be honest about what it is. You, the wealthy, uh, are oppressing the working class uh, by imposing your freedom of, to, and right to play games, forcing them to work longer hours, probably of which they do not get paid overtime. And I think we should
1: uh, seize the means of production. It's true, while at the the same time pretending that I am the leader of the working class. (laughs) That's what we like to do
0: as uh, people that don't understand our own uh, privileges. We like to pretend we're from the lower class and that we're struggling. But let's be honest, we're really spoiled people by definition if we could spend hundreds of dollars on games.
1: (laughs) Uh, The repeating also thing in this theme in this uh, playing hegemony is that I always lose, and as I play more, I lose with a, uh, a larger gap. <laughs> <laughs> I become worse in this. This have never happened to me before. I mean, there are games that I'm not good at, and I'm not playing well, and there are games that I'm playing good, or there are games that you start without knowing the game, and then as you play, you learn how to play better. So in this game... <laughs> I play worse every time. That's and hilarious. I, I don't have a, a, an explanation on this. Maybe it's because I, I, I start to think that I know the game and I try to repeat things. Also, I have on one win uh, with the capitalist class, only one win in the eight games. Was it uh, your first game? It was my second game.
0: Oh, damn, it. it would have been so nice if it was your first. They just but it was started at <laughs> the top
1: and steadily <laughs> declined. But it was my first game with a capitalist class. Okay. Uh, and it's funny how it's I it's won. who you
0: are, so you instinctively understand the, uh, the nature of it.
1: So. it it's, it's funny because in the last round, uh, Vicky, who plays the middle class, uh, has calculated everything and she thinks she wins by two points. And she asked me at the last minute, she asked me, okay, I still have a loan. You didn't say anything about losing points if I have a loan at the end of the game. Oh, I, I, no. said, I said, yes, I did. not But of course, you're going to lose some points, probably. Oh, let's, no. find, let's find out. <laughs> and we check the rule book. And she loses like three points. And, she... <laughs> oh, no. and I win by one point. You pulled uh, a
0: Ricardo.
1: In what you, I said, uh... a typical capitalist way. <laughs> <laughs> you, you 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 withheld the small the information. You put
0: it in this in the fine print, so they wouldn't be able to find it until they were fucked over.
1: So Vic is it's, a it's, very it's, smart girl, and she should have known better. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, maybe she anyway, just hasn't known know. you as long as as long as the rest of yeah. us. Have. But 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 that's more of a Ricardo move, ke- keeping a rule in his back pocket until it's
1: necessary. So. Um, uh, the, the other last thing that I want to say about the game is that uh, every time we play the game the new players want to play a game uh, the, the next day people are texting me saying I'm still thinking about what happened yesterday yes. uh, and one o'clock in the morning or two o'clock in the morning when we uh, finished the game we stayed we were standing up outside of the cafe just to discuss the strategy and what we did wrong and what we did right in the game so that's amazing. He all, yeah, it has all these elements that uh, you know that that's always been that like game. how I
0: that's how I know I love a game, right? So, uh, when I first played Virgin Queen, there's so which is my favorite game, there's so many aspects of it that I wouldn't normally like, right? Like the diplomacy aspect is harsh, the the dice rolling is rough, you know, I'm, I'm not a fan of that stuff. So, after the first time I played, I, I rated it like an eight out of 10. And then two weeks later, I was still thinking about it. <laughs> like literally two weeks went by and every day of those two weeks, I thought about that game. And I was like, no, this, this is better than what I've given it. Then I played it again. And for like another two weeks I was thinking about, it, and I was just thinking, you know what, if a game can take up that much of my mind and make me feel engaged that way, who cares if the there's the luck aspects, so of that whatever it is, it's done a good job about like carving out its space in my brain, and that's I, how I kind Elias, of ended up with like that being my because like when I played Leaving Earth initially, I was like, oh, this is my favorite game, but I didn't think about it for that long afterwards. So
1: so that's kind of how I I broke the tie between the two. So. Elias, my friend, I think this is the the way with every romantic relationship. <laughs> 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 because, yes, indeed. If you're still thinking about him or her, the next day, that's right? That's right. Me and Prince, <laughs> me and Queen Elizabeth. That's
0: that's a match made in heaven. The first, please. I for shame. The other one just died. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> speaking of the working speaking class. Speaking of the working class. Okay, I want to see how you're going to go with this. I've been playing. Well, I've been playing. I've been playing a game called Factory Funner. <laughs> uh, So uh, I've played it seven times, but six times in a row were in two days. Like it was, um, I don't know if that tells you what you want to know about it. Um, Basically it's it's a light game. Um, And uh, I I got the new, not new, but the newer Kickstarter version. And basically the idea of this game is it's a tile laying game. And you basically, you have these four like um, source raw materials, which are like pink, yellow, blue, and green. Right. And, um, basically, uh, every, every turn you, you flip over a couple of machines that do different things. And then you grab the machines from the center and then you take your time and you place them on your factory floor, connecting them with like tubes that connect the, the raw materials that feed them in certain points. And then they also have outputs. Right. And the outputs could be end products, which are just like unusable because that's the end product. Or they can make other uh, raw materials. So like more pink or more green or more yellow or whatever. And if you feed another machine from the end product of another machine, so if you feed one product for the end product of another machine, you get like multiplier points at the end of the game. So um, oh. you're trying to to make the machines combo up uh, while only using you only have one of each raw material source. So you, if you have multiple machines that need pink or green, the best way to do it is to use other machines plus source materials to like combo whatever. Is that a theme um, on
1: the game? I mean, what's
0: green and Yeah, pink you're and... building a factory floor. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's, that's the thing so, so, so green is a, a green tile on your factory I, I, I also
0: want to point out that it's like a 15-20 minute game like it's a filler so um,
1: they, they didn't have much time to flesh out the lore of the game but the concept you know it's it's my favorite concept in a video game I mean I, I love Factorio and things uh, yeah, like that it's,
0: it's that yeah and the thing is whilst you can redo like where the tubes go you can never move a machine once you place it. So there's a level of commitment that you have once you place a machine. Um, So then I played it with two players and I've played it solo once, the other six times are two players. Um, It can play up to four. And I think it might be have other elements that come into the game at four, because there's also like a penalty for grabbing the tile first. So if you, if you grab the tile that you want the most, you get minus one money when you're scoring. Uh, and if you, the last one to take a tile, you get plus one. And you can also choose not to place the machine without taking any like penalty. Whereas everyone else, if they choose not to place the machine after grabbing it, they lose a couple of bucks, right? So, um, so there's benefits. So the, the interesting thing about the game is every piece that you're playing onto your board costs money. You can then like remove the tubing but then the 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 tubing that you place to replace it that also costs money so when you're placing you're kind of caught between building the tile for cheap versus oh but i really want to connect the end product of this machine to feed the source of this other machine so because that gives me end game points at the end of the game so you're caught between building for cheap now and trying to maximize end game points by comboing it off. So it actually leads to really tough decisions and the the, the way to like think about it like I'm really bad at spatial reasoning games. Like games like uh Akrotiri. Like I can never really figure out where things are in relation to each <laughs> other. But but Dima's way better at it than me and she always whoops me at those games and she complains, "Oh, you're taking so long." And you know me, I don't AP very much but in spatial reasoning games I AP. What's interesting about this game is Dima takes longer than I do to play her turn. So so it's really a mind fuck in terms of its spatial reasoning because you have so many potential options of where to place everything. It's um, funny because
1: I was thinking, I was gonna AP in this game. I mean, for sure. you, you, yeah. said, you said it's a short game though. Yeah, yeah it's like 20 minutes. But but um, you, you need your time to to take your time and think about uh, because no even
0: with even with the AP it's twenty minutes because um you're only placing eight machines the whole game so there's only eight rounds so if each round took you four minutes you'll it'll take you half an hour really so, yeah um with so eight yeah eight placements
1: that's, you they made the yeah.
0: game yeah yeah that's it the whole game is eight placements. Uh, but each placement, you know, you're like, should I change what I already have, or should I just start a new thing? So like, you have to think about all your other connections. So it gets increasingly more complex, and you also want to leave room. and Ah, oh, it's, it's it's really good. So so another thing I like about it is that real time element at the beginning of the game where you you flip over the tiles and then you got to grab. So like, there's there's this like. Oh. First of all, it makes Galaxy it a little less like uh, serious stuff. Yeah, yeah. It takes away some of the seriousness of it. And it also leads to hilarious decisions where the person grabs something that they think, you know, would be better for them, but then it fucks over their entire factory floor. <laughs> and they were like, and you're like, okay, great. Like I get a bonus point and this one's actually better for me. So thank you. But because of that sped up element, you know, there's a way to play it without it. But I think I think that's a good thing in the game. It sets um, up
1: the the feeling of the game. Sets yeah.
0: The, yeah, yeah. The mood. Yeah.
1: The mood. Yeah.
0: Um, and what's nice also is you know with spatial games, Dima usually kicks my ass. You know, but in this so far I've won like two out of three. I win. She wins one out of three. So it's like yeah, it, it's a, it's a it's a mind fuck spatially. But at least I'm not like terrible at it every time we play it. How and, many players uh, is this? It can take four, I think.
1: So, but you uh, can only uh, solo in two, right? Let me check.
0: It could take six. I apologize. It can play up to six players. Um, oh. And if, it, com- if it, it, put- comes, it comes with six boards. You can each pick side A, which is all of you have an identical factory floor, or you can flip over to side B, and every floor is different, right? And it's actually ranked in difficulty from one to six. So, you can compensate to If, let's say, I'm playing with a bunch of new people, I could take the most difficult factory floor and then I can give the easier ones to the new people so that they can work around it. So um,
1: Fascinating. That uh, sounds uh, very interesting.
0: Yeah. Well, I think all you really need... I had a good time. I mean, I'm not going to say it blew my mind. I played it before I did the top fillers and it didn't make my top fillers, but it did make Dima's top fillers which she posted on our Board Game Geek Guild. So go check that out if you'd oh, like to see it. Oh, interesting. But um, uh, basically at the end of each game, every time I'd beat her, Dima would be like, okay, okay, let's, let's play again. Then we'd play again, I'd win. Then she'd be like, oh, okay, one more time, one more time. And then she'd beat me and she'd be like, okay, I'm good. No. Then the next day she was like, do you want to play Factory Funner? I was like, yeah. So I won the first one. She's like, okay, okay, one more, one more. So we played another one. She's like, "Okay, just one more. I swear, one more." And then she beat me. She's like, "Okay, I'm good."
1: <laughs> so- Again, that's a good indicator about the game. Yeah, that's I a- think so. I
0: think so. I-, I think this is a game that will stay because it gives a nice puzzly challenge, um, and it can play up to six. And it plays from one to six, so it's fun solo. It's fun at two. I imagine it'll be more fun with four or five people because you're but, you're doing it at the but same it's, time. It's twenty
1: so- minutes with two players, right? Yes, but you're playing
0: at the same time, so it doesn't oh, matter. Right. You don't take turns oh. in
1: the game. So well, that's, oh, yeah, assuming I no one takes games.
0: longer than Dimas' turns, it should I, be the same time. <laughs> all right? so, yeah.
1: I love these kind of fillers. Yes, when you so factory funner.
0: There. Yeah, exactly. I, I'd love you to try. I think you'd like it. I'm glad I backed it on Kickstarter. Um, I tried to get it one or two times at Math Trades, the older version, um, and I never did. And I'm glad. And honestly, I'm glad I ended up with this version just because the box is smaller. Like it's, you know, you don't want to, you don't want a game like that taking up a huge spot on your shelf, but it's a great game. I enjoy it. It's not breaking any like minds and and like, like, like shattering any, uh, new, um, dimensions (laughs) or frontiers, but it's a great game. I like it. I'm going to keep it. I think this is one, you know, you can find a lot of people to play it. People that like puzzles, people that like trains, people that like uh, factory games on on Steam and stuff. So, it's got a lot of a lot of different ways that it will come out. It's quick, it's fast. the 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 real time aspect takes away from the seriousness of it. So, yeah, recommended Factory Funner. Check it out if you get a chance.
1: Now, uh, speaking of a uh, Kickstarter, I was. Uh... Uh, Actually, there is a a friend in the board game group and he was selling some of his his, uh, games secondhand. And one one of them was Palm Island. And I remember you said that it's a very good solo game. No. I said it's a solo
0: game. I didn't say it's a very good solo
1: game. (laughs) That's what I remember. That you said you're playing in the airplane, and you can just keep it in one hand. And, I, t- I uh, said it
0: was clever because you don't you don't need a surface to play the game on. <laughs> you could just you could just use your hand. But
1: <laughs> I I don't think it's a good game at all. Okay, thank you, Elias, for uh, spending 20 bucks on this, because <laughs> I bought the game, uh, and. Uh, but Ahmed uh, promised me that he will bring the game and the next time uh, he will be in the board game group. So, for the last three months, we di- it didn't happen for us to be at the same Tuesday in the, <laughs> in the same game night. By Ahmed, do you mean AK? No, no, not another one. Oh, because AK has the game as well. So. Uh, oh, yes, he has the game, correct. So I feel like it's a Kickstarter now, like uh, I committed three, week, three months ago, and I'm still waiting for the <laughs> game, for the game to, to come.
0: Well, uh, I'm excited for how disappointed you're going to be once you get it. Oh
1: my God. Anyway, <laughs> uh, the, the other game I would like to, to talk today, and I'm going to make the disclaimer that uh, I played this game last summer. Uh, is uh, King's Dilemma so going from the working class back to the capitalist class let's (laughs) (laughs) let's see how this works so King's Dilemma was a game that was uh, brought to me in uh, actually in the Christmas of 2021 Uh, but uh, it's a campaign game uh, cooperative and I wanted to make a, a group of people that will be committed to play the whole uh, campaign. And uh, from the information I had, it was like, uh, uh, they told me that it's going to take something uh, between 10 and 12 uh, uh, games to to finish. So that happened last summer and uh, we started playing the King's Dilemma. It's a a game where you draw cards. It's it's a story-driven game. You draw cards, the cards tell you the story and uh, the The whole company has to take uh, a decision. Uh, The five players are representing five families in the same kingdom. One of them is the king. And, uh, uh, you know, new proposals for laws might come with uh, the different cards. Or uh, maybe we have an offer from a neighboring uh, kingdom for cooperation or something like that. And we need to make a decision always on this. Uh, the f- interesting thing about this game is that the actions, the, the decisions that uh, we make have both a short and a long-term effect in the kingdom. So they immediately affect somehow the kingdom. But at the same time, the game uh, there is a game mechanism where the game remembers that you have taken this decision and it might lead the kingdom to a different path. The immediate effect in the kingdom is that actually it's just five different uh, columns showing the level of culture, science, power, wealth and food in the kingdom. That's all. And when you start the game you take uh, randomly a card and the card might say that uh, okay uh, you are Uh, this family, and uh, in this game, your goal is to maximize the power of the kingdom, while Mm -hmm. other players have a completely different uh, uh, goal, maybe, for this game. So, each game, uh, how the campaign works, each game, you represent a different generation of your family. So, in, uh, in every game, you're gonna represent the same family, but you know, in the first game, you are like the, the first generation. In the second game, you represent the second generation. So thematically, this shows why you have a different goal in the second game from the first game, which is a very nice mechanism. I like that. Yeah, it's uh, very clever. Uh, yeah, so maybe, uh, you know, the, the father of the family was all about uh, money and being greedy but the daughter of the family now is all about power, yeah. And the game has this, uh, you know, lega- it's a legacy game. So all these events, laws, new rules that are coming in the in the game, they all have a, a permanent effect in the game in the form of uh, stickers or new, uh, actually yes, stickers that are representing uh, new rules or uh, quick, for the game.
0: Quick question: I've been, I've been scrolling through it while well, you because i remember our arseni talked about it a few episodes ago um which is actually a few years ago at this point but um why is it so fucking ugly like there's no color in this game the only color is on the cover it looks like it's so bad <laughs> don't is, it, is there a reason for it to look like this like why couldn't they put a bit more effort into
1: it uh i'm gonna say it it probably suffers of the terraforming mars uh, problem where the the artist is a relative of the designer <laughs> <laughs> or maybe i don't know uh, i mean i just throw this out there maybe i'm i'm completely wrong but i think that's a like a conspiracy because, theory because <laughs> because it's like you're right i mean it's like a spreadsheet like yeah. printed and you just have a token, and if it moves up, if the power moves up, then you move up the token. If it moves down, it moves down there. Yeah. And people uh,
0: say like food chain magnate is ugly, but yeah, maybe food chain magnate, like the board is boring, but like the art on like all the cards and the, you know, your pyramid and like, yeah, it's nice. It has that the right, you know, color tone for theme. the era and stuff like that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. This one yeah. just has like the super dramatic cover with like, Deep royal reds and gold, and a man with a great beard putting his paw for in his paw, and then you open it, and it's like, "Here's the world's biggest three three-track board," and that's the whole game.
1: <laughs> like, oh, I, I maybe they I spend understand. all the money on the cover. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, very possible. Yeah. Uh, but I have to say that. Uh, uh, the graphic design supports the game. I do, we didn't have any problems with that because as, as I okay. said, uh, the whole game is what I described to you. So it's just five tokens moving up and, and down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And at the same time, maybe some stickers adding to the to the
0: rules. But I feel like maybe they could have like, I don't know, I haven't played it, but like imagine you make the game smaller, make it more card-based and then just use a smaller track. Um you're kind of like, I don't know. It's a big ass box. And I, when I look at it, I can't imagine what's in the box. Like I keep looking
1: at at it laid on tables and I'm like, why is the box so big? Like, so we might, we have two options either to ask them why they did that. Or we can also (laughs) take the new version of, uh, uh, the Queens dilemma that is coming out. Ah, okay. Uh, anyway so the the basic thing about uh, my experience with this game is that I played this game nine times which means that we were very close on finishing the campaign uh, I mean according to uh, my friends here probably we, we had like one or more uh, games to play and at that time we lost uh, one of the uh, of the players of the group, and when i say we lost him i mean he he left doha oh i was uh, going to
0: say sorry for your loss
1: uh... <laughs> no i mean sorry for your loss so i guess it's a, it's still standing
0: no <laughs>
1: <laughs> I mean, but uh, it, the queen's I
0: mean, dilemma looks way better by the way
1: you're you're out i'll challenge yeah so, so see so they got the feedback already yeah so the thing is that uh, because they were like uh I think three or four people here that they have played the game before all of them, they offered themselves to replace the, the missing player uh, in order to, for us to finish the campaign. And they were all very excited. Even if they knew the, uh, mm. the campaign, even if they knew the story, they were very excited mm. to play a game. Yeah. So this, uh, so this shows that uh, there's uh, even some replayability in the game. And, or you might say that it shows that it's not about the, the story. It's about the experience mm. because we really had a great time playing that game. Uh, there was, there was always, you know, uh, debates on, uh, uh, should we go and uh, help the people or should we go and uh, uh, leave the people die because uh, that's the true thing about our religion or, I mean, you you have to support ridiculous uh, positions usually, just because your goal tells you to do so, and that I, ge- I guess that makes the game that makes the game fun. Yeah, that's yeah. It, it, it looks
0: it looks. It, it, I've always had like a part of me that's attracted to it, but the other part of me just remembers what it's like arguing with board gamers, and it's just. It can be exhausting. And I'm just wondering if that translates. So, for example, like arguing with somebody about the, I'm talking about Basel. So like arguing with Basel about a rule, right? Like you're going over like what this means in 1846, right? Like
1: that was exhausting or like. uh, That was a serious argument. I mean, you you were really supporting the, your, uh, I mean, you had. I'm talking about 1846. Like yeah, so titles. you had thought about the rule and you, you were thinking, okay, no, this is correct. You were trying to yeah. actually convince somebody. But imagine if you try to convince somebody for something that you really know it's ridiculous. Like, doesn't make yeah. sense. Yeah,
0: that's what, that's what I'm wondering. I'm wondering if it's as exhausting.
1: So it's more that's funny so exhausting. than exhausting. Okay. Or, okay. Right. okay, let me say this. Let me explain uh, this. You know, three months, six months, nine months after the, the last game we played, I don't have the appetite to continue the campaign Mm. the other players I feel that they do have the appetite but for me I mean I I really don't care how this story ends so I I was not you know engaged with the story I feel and uh, I realized I said before that it's a cooperative game it's not a cooperative game at all Yeah, it's a a good thing you
0: said it was cooperative (laughs) that's
1: makes <laughs> sense yeah i realized that I, why did they say that it's not a cooperative at all you have a a short goal a short term goal the the card yet, that you draw in its game and in the end of the game you see who wins so who fulfilled most of his uh, goals yeah. but at the same time your family has a long term goal okay
0: i I, so, I do like that part
1: yeah yeah so this part is nice. Uh, but the problem remember, is that... Do you remember
0: we the, played... Uh, sorry to interrupt you, because it's on what you were just talking about. Uh, the Banner Saga. We played it cooperative. Do you remember that game? Yes. Um It was... Yeah, so... That game has a lot of problems. Like, I basically keep it because of the art. I love the art style. But um, one of the things that's interesting in that game is you get these decisions to make, right? And every player of the four, has a role, right? You're either the Jarl, or you're the uh, quartermaster, or whatever it is, and you're given incentive to want to argue something in a particular direction. So when a decision comes, it says, oh, this decision is between the Jarl and the quartermaster. The quartermaster might be leaning one way, because their ultimate goal is to have food right whereas the url is thinking about loyalty and 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 whatever it is so it gave you incentive to have that argument and me and dima always talk about the fact that it was one of the few co-op games we liked because it was clear like when you're arguing for something it made sense whereas in co-op games usually you just argue because you think you have the better strategy right whereas in this one you're, you're arguing because that's what your character would like so it introduces that role play element to things and that's what you're reminding me of with this. Like, you're not arguing with a person because they actually think that they're smarter than you and this is how to win the game. They're arguing because that's what their character in the game would like to do, which takes out a lot of the emotion. Uh, so I think by that it would kind of make things. I imagine might make things easier because you're you're role playing a character and a perspective rather than you would think so.
1: <laughs> uh so i i think you got you hit the point there uh, i mean when i was playing the game i was focusing on winning i was focusing on these uh short-term goals that i had and i'm pretty good at this so i was winning a lot of games but i was missing i feel like i missed the role playing part Okay i should have so as i remember when we talked about oath like in the previous episodes it's i feel it's the same thing we should have more i should have more enjoyed the role playing part of the game rather than focusing on winning these short term goals that nobody cares about, but at okay. the same time it's not my fault that the game gives me these goals and the game tells me that if I fulfill these goals, I will win uh, this particular game of the campaign, right? This, this session. Yeah. So yeah. I feel that it might have been more uh, helpful if the game would uh, had told me that uh, it's a co-op game or a semi co game or something like that.
0: Gotcha. Be- uh, because it gives you something to balance in your head. As exactly. To, so
1: then, uh, yeah. So yeah, I will just no. uh, you know let go and just enjoy the ride.
0: Maybe there should be like a overarching win condition that must be met at minimum. Otherwise, everyone loses. Like the kingdom enters like a failed kingdom state or whatever. So you have to. I don't know. I'm just talking. Uh, literally recommending things to a game I, I haven't played. I think played, there so. is
1: there <laughs> is this thing. So there there are okay. ways where you. Uh you can, you know, steal the win by doing something bad to the kingdom, but then you're going to the dark side. So dark side. In, the, in the long-term goals, you can win by achieving the goals of the family, but there are also some uh, dark points that you <laughs> I don't know how else to explain because it's nine months, so I, I really don't remember that part. But I remember that you are also uh, gaining uh dark points and you might win by uh gaining the most of the dark points so by actually okay. destroying the kingdom interesting alright well that's uh, very cool the king's dilemma um, yeah, that, that if was nothing... the king's dilemma and I will update you I will keep you posted if we finish the game uh, hopefully please do
0: and if nothing it's a very interesting concept of like to think about how that kind of game can be best, you know, implemented. And uh, I, I find it very interesting. Um, it is. So as you guys know, I've been hinting about it for a while. I've been playing Frosthaven and Gloomhaven Digital at the same time. And uh, I wanted to compare them. I mean, If you remember back in episode 23, if you're a longtime listener, we had a discussion about Frosthaven being on Kickstarter. And I went on a huge rant about how could it, how could, it's it's gloomhaven in the snow. It's gloomhaven in the snow. Everything's better in the snow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <that's laughs> and, the worst, the worst uh, argument ever.
1: And honestly, <laughs> think is better in the snow. I
0: think I think I said I think I said Yogi Bear 3D. Oh my God, was was a movie about bears, and The Revenant was a movie about bears in the snow,
1: and oh, The yeah, Revenant's a good I movie, th- and Yogi Bear. What <laughs> was your argument there <laughs> Now that you moved in Toronto, do do you still believe that everything is better in the snow?
0: Yes. I love winter. But, uh, yeah. Anyway. um, So I was right. (laughs) Basically. (laughs) Frosthaven is Gloomhaven in the snow. And um, there... Yes, there are differences. But if you know how to play Gloomhaven, there's very little for you to learn to play Frosthaven. So... There's some differences in combat, but it's basically identical. I'll be honest with you. Like, it's like it's like that. You know, like just they're so close. Like, but but
1: is it at you, least
0: more content? No, no, no. Uh, there are a bunch of differences in that. I'm gonna get to that. I'm just saying, the combat, which is the main gameplay, is essentially the same. Uh, yes, there are slight differences, but I just want to say, if you are not sure it's Gloomhaven in the snow.
1: <laughs> and, and that's a good thing, I guess, because people were... That's a good thing. Excited yes. with the combat in... Uh, that was the whole thing of Definitely. Gloomhaven.
0: And I think it would have been a bit overwhelming if it if it was so different in terms of the combat mechanisms from Gloomhaven, just because everything looks so similar and it, it's frosty Gloomhaven. It would have been very confusing to keep both games straight in my head, especially if you're like me and you're playing both at the same time. So... uh yeah, so it's Gloomhaven in the Snow. Let's set that as the baseline. Um, now, some of the differences that, I, that I'm, I've that i been enjoying, the starting characters, the six starting characters, are, they give you a couple of basic ones and then some more complex ones. And I really liked that because I felt like the, the starting characters in Gloomhaven, and that's been supported by my actual campaign, physical and my digital version, um, they're much simpler in gloomhaven they're much more you know i'm a ranged guy i hit from a distance or i'm a tank i take damage you know um whereas now you have way even the starting characters like the 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 two easy characters still a bit more interesting you know you have the banner spear who's like everything's based on positioning of people and and then at the medium level you have like the the death walker who uses shadows to like appear and damage and then go back through the shadows, almost like a nightcrawler style of thing. You can imagine it. And then you have really complex ones like the Geminate, which is like, you have two different smaller hands and you're going between these two characters. So like rather than have a card of a hand of 14 cards, you have two hands of seven and you keep swapping between these two hands. It's interesting stuff. Yeah. So, so, I am glad I went with like a medium level because I guess I wasn't super experienced <laughs> at Gloomhaven. Cause when I looked at the complex ones, I was like, ah, I think I'll, I think I'll go medium. <laughs> and Dima went, you know, basic, which is good. Cause she had never played Gloomhaven. I should say I've played recently between Frosthaven and Gloomhaven digital. I've played almost 30 times between the two. So I'm not an expert on anything, but you know, I've got some plays, you know? So, uh, Another thing I really liked that made things a little easier is that they have these quest line boards. So they are these boards where you like peel off layers to unlock quests as they appear, oh. but they're color coded and you can tick off the ones you've done. Cause I remember when Sergio and I were playing the, the the physical version of Gloomhaven, we stopped playing for a while And then we came back and we had no clue what we had done and what we hadn't done. And it wasn't super obvious, you know, we had to go through like the board and the book and see what we had checked off. And, you know, Um, and another thing they've done, which I really liked is they've added this thing called inspiration. So every time you successfully finish a mission, you get X minus, uh, sorry, four minus X inspiration points, where X is the number of players. So the game plays up to four. So basically, if you're four players, you never get inspiration. But if you're less, if you're two players, you, you get inspiration. And what you can do is you can spend that inspiration when you save it up to unlock stuff more more quickly. And that's really good because the big unlocks in the game happen when a character retires. And as Sorry. you can imagine...
1: You get this as a group... The inspiration?
0: Yeah, yeah, you get as a group. So as you can imagine, if you're four characters, around the same time, four characters are going to retire. A whole bunch of things are going to get unlocked. Whereas if you're two players, only two characters are going to retire. So you get less stuff. So you can use this inspiration to uh, unlock, basically get extra unlock. So it speeds up the process for parties with less than four players. So four characters. I, I like that a lot. It was a nice balancing mechanism. And so far, I do think the writing is better in Frosthaven. But, um, so now let's talk about, uh, so, so these are things to keep in mind. Sure, the writers are the, the same. No, I think they got a lot of like guest writers for this one. Oh. Whereas I think the original one was a lot of Isaac just writing everything. So, mm. I don't know if that's the case but or or if he just took feedback. But whatever it is, so far, I'm much more engaged with the writing in Frost. I'm not saying it's going to replace a fantasy novel for me but it's it's more engaging than than that of, of Gloomhaven um, uh, it, it gives you sort of moral choices initially and also there's less missions that are just kill everybody which is great because I never was a big fan of those kinds of missions you know sometimes it's like escape you know or oh. go and activate this this device that you found so nice. it, make, it makes it a little more engaging yeah, a little more interesting than just murder everyone so that's good. <laughs> the other major difference is the city versus the outpost phase, uh, and this is good and bad. If I'm going to be honest with you, so in Gloomhaven between missions, you'd go back to Gloomhaven to do the city phase, and in the city phase, you'd go buy stuff, you'd go um, uh, make a donation to to get uh, blessings for your next mission. You know that was it. Build a character, retire a character. That's it. Upgrade a character the outpost phase things happen to frosthaven as an outpost and you kind of like are shared in the responsibility of taking care of it so you have like you're building the walls of frosthaven you're upgrading oh. the defenses the barracks you're you're building new kinds of buildings that give you new abilities you're you're building these things that give you the ability to get uh snow climbing gear or or, or like a, a, a sled in the snow.
1: Which sorry, sorry. You, can, so yeah. can, can something happen when you are in a... Yes. So wow. they can attack you. So in oh. the outpost
0: phase, you can get raided, right? And you're drawing from an outpost deck. Um, and there's seasons. So Man. in the winter, you're more likely to get attacked than in the summer. So you're going to build up your defenses in the summer. And when you get attacked, you got to rebuild the stuff, you know, and stuff like that. So I don't want to spoil anything, but... Um, there's a lot more to that, which is good and bad. One, it really made the time between missions a lot more interesting. Like, when I played Gloomhaven, I was sort of disappointed in the fact that the game was 98% missions. Now it's like 80% missions, 30% outpost phase, which is nice. Uh, 20%, sorry, 20 to 30%. Oh, I
1: was going to say 80 and 30 is amazing. Listen, when
0: <laughs> I do things, I do things 110%, okay? <laughs> <laughs> Um, Nothing
1: less. But,
0: but to be honest with you, it's super fiddly. Like the outpost phase is oh. super fiddly. Like, I just, you know, they could have made it kind of like a really basic city building game, borrowed from something with tiles and just replaced the tiles with stickers. But yeah. instead, it's this like super fiddly, you go through this deck of cards of stuff you've unlocked and look at this part of the card. And if you've it's just, it's kind of a pain in the ass. And every time I get to it, I have to open the rule book, you know, cause I don't play 10 games in a row in one week, you yeah. know, cause I got a job and stuff. So like, instead it's like, That's I got to open the rule book. Yeah, it's my fault. I apologize. <laughs> I got to open the rule book and, and, and go through the different steps. And so it's a little annoying, but it still fleshes out the world more. So I I'm glad it's there, but sometimes it pisses me the fuck off. So that, that gives you <laughs> your idea of that. Um, the other okay. thing that they've added, so loot in Gloomhaven was just coins. In this game, there's loot. So when someone dies, they drop a loot token. And the loot comes from a loot deck. So, oh, it could be anything. It could be skin, it could be metal, it could be hide, it could be flowers that you can use to make potions by mixing it with different herbs. And you go to the... It's, it's cool, you know? Or, or but, just put it in a vase. But, but but the problem is every single mission has a different loot deck that you have to make for the mission so you have to shuffle the wood cards take out this number shuffle the uh. the metal cards take out this number put them all together and I'm like dude couldn't you just have one basic <laughs> loot deck and then you draw out of that loot deck and once it's gone it's gone like why did you have to make my life so difficult so uh. there's an issue again it's a positive and a negative it gives you exactly it makes loot interesting uh, because you want to collect different things because there's like a little board where you can mix different things and the first time you mix it you take off a little oh, tab you don't know so nice. what it's going to create it's awesome but it's a pain in the ass to make the loot deck every single time you play the game and it's a different loot deck for every mission you know so the they added so many interesting things but the dramatically increase the fiddliness and the pain in the ass of setup and teardown of the game. Uh-huh. So I, I don't want to go on forever, and I could. So I want to talk about what I've been doing, which is playing Frosthaven Real Life and Digital Gloomhaven. Digital Gloomhaven, I've been playing with Mo, and we've been each playing two characters. So we have a full party of four. And um, Frosthaven, that's, it's impossible for me to manage two different characters because there's so much stuff happening. The digital version just does so many things automatically. You don't have to worry about it. Um, And we're playing with just two characters. Um, One of the things that's huge, obviously, is the setup and teardown time. Like, it takes me, you know, a good amount of time to set up a scenario, like 20 minutes or so, and to tear it down. Like, you add that together, that's almost an hour of just setup and teardown time if I've already unpacked the game. If the game happens to be in the box, add another 20 20 minutes to that. So it's an hour. Um, and we just played so many more Gloomhaven games in the same amount of time that we played Frosthaven games because you can play two scenarios in a couple hours, you know, in two, three hours. But no. you can't do that in Frosthaven because setting up the scenario is already an hour and setting up and tearing down. Um, so that is the main benefit of playing the digital version. However, in the in the physical version, I felt much more of a connection to my characters, and that's probably because they're so annoying to manage, right? Like because it takes so <laughs> because it's a pain in the ass to manage their their goal and their battle goals and their retirement goals, and you're picking through the cards and picking which one enters your hand. And wait, did I pick this one? No, this one goes back in the box. You kind of get a connection to your character. You're like, and- okay, like.
1: Yeah. And, and because you are spending more time with them.
0: Yeah, that's probably it. It's <laughs> that's probably what you're supposed to do with kids, too, right? This, uh, exactly. The more is how time you make with friends. them, you give more of a shit about them. Yeah. <laughs> the digital versions, I don't give a shit about my characters. <laughs> I really don't. Like, uh, whenever it comes up, you know, it highlights, oh, you need to do this. So I click something, I click a choice, oh. and it goes from there. And another thing is Mo's never played the physical version. And the difference between his understanding of how enemies will act versus my understanding, there's like a chasm. Because when you play the physical version, you have to move the enemies. So you have to understand the way the AI works. Whereas in the digital version, you don't need to do anything. They're just going to do... So, so, so he doesn't really know what they're going to do. And so it affects the way he makes decisions. So, you know, just keep that in mind. Like, if you don't take the time to really understand it the digital version kind of handicaps you in that that's that's true i guess for every digital version of every game sure i agree with that i agree with that completely just but it but it's worth mentioning you know because um it, it does affect the decisions that you make you know this game is really a game of very small margins sometimes of like i had two cards left in my hand and and everyone else in the party was exhausted you know sometimes it can be that close so understanding what that wolf is going to do could really make the difference between losing
1: and winning. Elias, uh, what is what is interesting to me is that you are still, you are always playing this game two players. So you think that's the spot?
0: No. Um, if I could, I'd play it four, but I know what's going to happen. I'm just going to get annoyed because people take so long to pick their cards like i i'm i'm really fast like i, I look at my hand i'm like all right this makes sense from what i know I, I i feel like this guy's gonna go pretty fast uh based on the cards that we've pulled for this guy so i'm gonna try to go fast and we going try to do this i do it based on feel people read all their cards both top and bottom action every turn and then make a decision and sometimes i want to like yeah. i want to I, I, I would do sh- that yeah. shoot somebody yeah exactly so
1: <laughs> I, I just i feel i feel like it's just gonna piss me off you know so if you um, find three people like you you would prefer to play four players
0: yeah i feel like the more characters you have the more interesting it is because you have different battle goals different retirement goals people act differently and you can always combo each other a lot more so you know, in the, in the in the two player game I'm playing on Frosthaven, um, uh, it's very rare that like Dima creates any um, energies that I can use, right? Because I need dark energy, and and basically she doesn't create any dark energy, so I have to create most of my dark energy and use it later myself.
1: Oh my god! Um, whereas,
0: Dima. since we're playing, her character's just this. Uh, let's say Dima. we're <laughs> playing four characters online with mo you know a lot of them create different energies that my spellweaver can use you know and and that's interesting so so i feel like you know i really wanted to try the banner spear in in frosthaven but the banner spear depends so much on the formation of you and your allies it didn't make any sense to pick that in a two-player game because like we're never going to be in the right place if it's just the two of us, you know? So I, 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 I yeah, I, I do like more characters, but I, I've only played it two. And I, the, the benefit of playing it too, is especially if it's with your wife or with your friend and you pick a night a week where you're going to meet on discord and, and play the game is you can get it done. You can play a lot of games. If you're going to get four people physically to meet, it's impossible. You're, you're never going to finish the yeah, game. Yeah, that's also so. a,
1: a, a very true, yeah. If you had to stop one of these two games, the digital one or the... Physical... Don't make
0: me pick between Mo and my wife. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, I mean, you the... can reverse. So, yeah, Just imagine you, you you were playing like digital with Dima and uh, physical with Mo or whatever.
0: Well, maybe my recommendation will answer that question for you. I would recommend... If you don't know any of these and you want to figure out what's the first one to go to, go to Gloomhaven Jaws of the Lion. Because in Gloomhaven Jaws of the Lion, you open up pages of a book and it's a, the map's already laid out for you. You play in the book as opposed to building the map scenario every time. So it speeds things up and you still have to move your the NPC characters so you can learn and figure out how that works, which will help you. Then... Either go to the digital version or play the physical version using, I've not used this. I don't know if it's any good. But there are a bunch of like helpers on of, of like apps where you like say, I'm playing this scenario. And then it manages all the stuff of like, this is how the enemies move. This is the cards they draw. This is their action this turn. And so you can just put out an iPad and then just do that. So it might help with that.
1: But That's really cool.
0: Yeah, that's what I'd recommend if you're not a fan of fiddliness and pain in the acidness. But (laughs) if I had to pick for me, I would always pick the physical version. Um, Because you're a board gamer. It's just because I'm more of a board gamer than a video gamer, yeah. um, At least as I get older. So, you know, at the end of the day, what I'm going to say is, if you don't like Gloomhaven, you're not going to like Frosthaven. Like don't don't buy it. Um but if you like Gloomhaven and you finished it and you want more of it, buy Frosthaven because it's Gloomhaven in the snow, okay? <laughs> like I said years ago, that's all that it is with a little more interesting story, a little more interesting stuff between uh missions and a lot more fiddliness. Like like to the nth degree, pain in the ass fiddliness. Keep all these things in mind. But as much as it is, as much as the story is better, as much as the 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 time between missions means more, and as fiddly as it is, that's not going to make you like or dislike it. If you didn't like Gloomhaven, so so if you love Gloomhaven, you're gonna like Frosthaven.
1: And if you didn't like Gloomhaven, none of these are gonna fix it. But so, um, it, but yeah. if you like Jaws of the Lion and you want to go to the next step, should you go to the Low yes. Heaven or Frost Heaven?
0: Well, no, at that, that point, you're really just deciding what um, setting you want more. Um, I would say if you play Jaws of the Lion, probably go to go to Frost Haven just because it has more stuff in it and more things you can do. And the characters so far are a bit more interesting to play and the missions are a bit more interesting yeah, I would say overall Frosthaven is a slight improvement because of things I said, and also uh, going worse because it's more fiddly in a game that was already horrendously fiddly. <laughs> One of all this is, I fucking love this game. <laughs> oh. I I love this game, and at the same time, if I didn't have the world's heaviest game table, I would have flipped it three times by now. And not because of anything the game does, but because of what a pain in the ass it is to play. Does the video game digital version capture it? Somewhat, but no. Um, I don't remember you saying this for any other game. Yeah, no, maybe Virgin Queen. That's also a pain in the ass to play, but I love it. But um, the digital version, I would love it. I love it, but like, it's not the same. It's missing a bit of the heart that the board game version gives you, and and maybe that heart comes from the pain and suffering <laughs> of
1: the of the fiddliness. You.
0: no, of the fiddliness that it causes, like of the such it's look, this game, I don't know how to express this more clearly. It is the biggest pain in the ass, like it's such an annoying game to play, yeah, and I love it, and I love it and, and that's. That's my thoughts on it. If, if, if you hate the fiddliness, the digital version's pretty good. If you're okay with the pain and suffering, if you understand that pain breeds character, <laughs> <laughs> if you're okay with that, then go through the pain and play Frosthaven because it's Gloomhaven in the snow.
1: Frosthaven. A gloomhaven in the snow.
0: Like I said, many years ago. <laughs> All right. So that's my rant about Frosthaven and Gloomhaven. It's one that is filled with both joy, pain, suffering, love, and, and you know, everything Emo- else. Emotions. Emotions. Emotions! <laughs> anyway, now that I've done, finished expressing my emotions, you know what time it is, Epo? Yes. I think I know. Of course you do. It's time for the Hippocratic Corner! Oh my god! (laughs) Hippocratic
1: Corner! Okay, Uh, yes, (laughs) this is the time for the Hippocratic Corner. It's time to hear the top five of this episode. Okay, let's go uh, two days back and say that Elias is texting me and he says, you know, we're recording in two days and we don't have a topic. And that was the time that I was saying before that I was too busy. I was at work. I was thinking about work all day and I couldn't think clearly. So the first thing that comes in my mind in two minutes, actually, because I see the WhatsApp messages. I responded in two minutes. So I was was thinking for 120 seconds and I came up with this idea of, Top five game components. I was going to say, this is like your laziest top five ever. <laughs> exactly. That's what I thought when I said it to you. Because I was thinking, okay, let's get uh, get through with this. Uh, okay, let's say something. Yeah, top, top five components. But I was so wrong. That's, that needed so much time.
0: It was so difficult. It was <laughs> so... Difficult.
1: It was the hardest I have ever done. Because
0: me. usually you can think of a game and be like, well, I like this game, so it's going to be there, or it's not going to. But now there are games on my list I don't like. So
1: I had to think about all these games. E- exactly. That yes. I couldn't just rule out because I didn't like yeah. them. Yes, you know? because I have my ranking games. So I go to the first, I don't know, 20, exactly. 50. Exactly. You don't need to go all the way down. No, but this time you need to go all the way down and say, oh, exactly. yeah, maybe even this very, very bad game has an amazing component. So, so what, were,
0: what was your criteria? Because, again, I ended up having to come up with all sorts of criteria just to narrow down the list because
1: there were so many. Yeah. I think
0: this was the largest list I had ever made, and I had to cut it down.
1: So, Yeah, I mean, I was thinking this could be a top 10 easily. Easily. Uh, uh, I was trying to narrow it down, uh, but I couldn't come with a cohesive rule and uh, so uh, first I was thinking, okay, there are certain components that I love because they are solving uh, game design problems in a certain way that you're mm-hmm. thinking, wow, this guy has a, he's a' genius. Yeah also, but also there are components that are so beautiful. Yeah. And you're thinking, oh, oh my God, th- this game is amazing just because of this component, but but it doesn't really, add to the game mechanically in any way.
0: I agree.
1: Uh, so in the, my first idea was, as always, let's go with honorable mentions and <laughs> make the top. But by doing so, my top five was becoming a top 25 or something. <laughs> so what I will do is in each number, I will just... Uh, uh, drive you through the process of ha- how I ended up with this uh, uh, component and by doing so I will mention some other components or games. So that was okay. my idea. Uh, that's right. a smart so way to... Cheating. <laughs> okay. yeah, exactly cheating. Exactly, but in a, in a smart way. <laughs> I like it. What was your so, thought process?
0: Well, the first thing I wanted to rule out is I don't like, like big hunks of plastic. Like... Um, Blood rage, the mechs and anachrony, like, and and now they're like three feet tall. These minis that they're minis in quotation marks, they're making. And whenever I play a game with that stuff, it reminds. It just depresses me, man. Like I just I feel I just think about environmental. Like I don't know. I the older I get, the more upset I am with how much plastic uses in board games. Um. So just rule that out. We're it's not going to be anything that's like, oh my god, this Cthulhu miniature is seven feet tall. All right, calm down. Go <laughs> like those are like I don't know, uh, they're not okay for with me. Anyway, uh, the other one is it couldn't be an upgraded piece. Like it had to come stock with the board game. So not in like a deluxe edition or anything like that, and not something that like um, like my friends 3D printed me a Mountain Doom. With like a light in it, so like it, like the volcano lights coming through <laughs> uh, for War of the Ring, like or like I I have these like ship stands for a Twilight Imperium to separate what's in the uh, in space versus what's on the planet. Like none of these come with the game, right? So um, that uh, yeah. can't be included, um, and it can't. It, beautiful is important, but more than that, it had to have functionality. And it's got to be cool. Like, it's got to be a cool thing. Like, it has to have a cool factor. (laughs) I also have to have played it. So, like, there's certain games, like, Princess Jing is this game where you're, like, one of the characters has, like, mirrors and you're moving these pieces and you're trying to find Princess Jing because she's facing the other direction. I've never played Princess Jing. I've seen it be played at Essen, but I I, I didn't play it, so I I didn't include. I had to have played it because I got to know how it affects the game, right? Uh, Sorry, a couple more things because I really had a lot to look. Next, <laughs> couldn't be a miniature game. Had to be a board game because, you know, in Gola Arcana, they have these awesome light pens where you can, like, use the pen, touch your miniature, touch who you're going to attack. It'll calculate range uh, if you have, you know, line of sight, oh. if they're on difficult terrain. I love that thing, but it's a miniatures game. And then lastly, and this was the hardest to do, I excluded, like, art and layout as a, 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 so like Nemo's war, the board itself. Yeah. Lends a ton of functionality to the gate. You feel like you're handling the Nautilus, right? You're planning your routes. You know where you're going. You know where the ships are. Mm. You're tracking where they are. It, it, it's very important as a component, but it's the art and layout that make it important. And I, I the only way for me to get to five was to get rid of that. So, I feel like that's its own category. So I remove that.
1: from I don't have a board, but uh, that's a gray zone. You're right, and also yeah. you're also right that uh, that's our next top five.
0: <laughs> what board. happened to uh, top five games to play when stuck in a Tesla <laughs> with a flat tire? Oh, <laughs>
1: I'm yeah. Still waiting on that one. Uh, so
0: what is what's what's your honorable mention, Epo?
1: Okay, so I'm gonna start, as I said before, with uh, number five. Uh, number wow, five, no honorable mention? N- I mean, I'm gonna mention some components during the. All right, uh, the I, I have one honorable mention. Oh, okay, I sorry, mention.
0: yeah. yeah. This game is not like cool. Yeah, just, oh, no, well, I don't know if you noticed, but I slipped like five things into my uh, my my criteria. I mentioned like five other components that I thought about, but anyway, um, this isn't a cool thing, but it's just because I've owned both versions of the game with and without it, um, that the difference it made was massive. So the ghost screen in Mysterium. So I used to own Tamanichi de mostvo which was the uh, Portal Games version. And I was very resistant to buying Mysterium because I was like, I want to support the original publisher, blah, blah, blah. Um, But when I bought it, it was such a huge upgrade to the experience of being the ghost because it was super hard to manage all the decks of cards as the ghost would. They were just sitting in piles in front of you. When the ghost screen came out, everything was straight in front of you. Ah, this is the blue players, this, this and this clear for me. Everything's good from there, so it just made it. It was pretty with the with the sparrows or crows sitting on top. It was good looking, and it uh, it made the gameplay much more enjoyable. So I have to mention it as an honorable mention: the ghost screen from Mysterium.
1: Oh, shout out to the publisher, Ben. I have no <laughs> idea the publisher, Libellud <laughs> maybe. I don't know. <laughs> okay, so I will go. On with my, with my number 5 uh, so number 5 it's a game from 1995 wow with, yeah and the the reason that it's there is, is because the impression the component made to me is still in my mind the game is El Grande oh man the tower <laughs> yes and it's an area majority game so you have uh, colored wooden cubes that you place on a map of Spain and you're trying to get majority in each of the regions. So there is a region. So at least this was, I guess, in the designer's mind the, that there should be a region that, where the players don't really know what exactly is going on. And how are we going to do that? So the basic idea, I guess, today would have been let's have a bag and people throw their cubes in the bag. Or let's have cards and people will just uh, flip cards next to the region. But no, these guys, they came up with the idea of El Castillo, Mm. the tower. tower. So the tower, the component, it's a black four-sided paper, uh, sorry, cardboard, which is tall enough in order that when you throw the wooden cubes inside, nobody can see what's inside. Mm. And it was so impressive to me because remember, it's like uh, I think I played this game first in 2004 or something. So back then you always had a board and pieces on a board and things were going on. But you have now this very tall component, and you are throwing pieces inside, and you you try to remember what how many of your pieces are inside, or how many of the of the other players, and this really affects the game. But at the same time, there are so many that you cannot really track, and it's still in my mind. The Castillo from El Grande is my number five.
0: Very interesting. Um, I thought about it because, not for Al Grande, but they've used similar ones in um, Wallenstein, Shogun, um, uh, Eternals, Infernal, I can't remember what it's called, Immortals, I don't know, and then there's also the same tower in um, Amerigo, but in Amerigo it's used differently, it's used to tell you what actions and how many of the actions are available to you. So um, I like the use in Amerigo the most, but
1: I don't know. I feel like the towers of pain in the ass, mostly. Um, so, uh, I feel the same about the Tower in Wallenstein, where they had yeah. this crazy component made, which was very interesting. But I think in the end it didn't work.
0: Yeah. No, I'm not a fan of it. Um, but yeah, I, I like it. I, I could see where you're going. I thought about it. It never made my list, but it crossed my mind. Um, very nice. My number five was a lot more like <laughs> it's it's a very simple component. It's a game I don't really like. I had it. I think I gave, either sold it to you or traded it to you or gave it to you. It's a real-time game called Stellar Conflict, right? And in this oh, game, oh my god. You you have a deck of cards, different factions and you're throwing your cards onto a table that's your play space and like sort of positioning them. And then it, t- it takes one minute to play and 20 minutes to score this game. You're there, done. And then, based on like the initiative and where you place them and the direction in which they're firing, you sort it out. But what do I think is cool is they use rubber bands, like a rubber band that's just been cut. So it's a long string as lasers. And they come in all these different colors. And so when you see, like, oh, this green laser is shooting in this direction. You place the rubber band onto that laser, so you know the direction, and then you just stretch it out to see if you have line of sight, and if you can hit that character. Yeah, I, and I thought that was that. a very clever way to use rubber bands, and like it didn't. And I gained a lot of pleasure
1: out of using those rubber bands <laughs> to check the score. So it, it, um, it's funny that when you uh, described your criteria, you said about coolness. And I was thinking, that's yeah. not that's not objective. Well, what kind of criteria? And when we you were describing the rubber bands, I was thinking, that was so cool. Exactly. I <laughs> remember that. I remember exactly. that. Yeah, and everybody I think what was, was just cool looking is, at us while we
0: were, while we were playing. I, I think what was cool about it is that it wasn't fancy, right? It wasn't a laser pointer, or it wasn't like a special exactly. Fantasy Flight ruler that you had to buy. It's rubber bands. If it cuts, just go get another rubber band and cut it down the middle, you know? And just, like, stretch it out and say, oh, I hit you with this. I thought it was fun. And it it made what was a game that should honestly... I mean, was probably, like, a 1 out of 10. Like, it made it, like, a 4 out of 10. So, I liked the game. I enjoyed it. I didn't like the game. I liked it because of the rubber bands. And, unfortunately, the rubber bands couldn't keep it in my collection. But... I, uh,
1: the rubber bands from Stellar Conflict are my number five. Uh, okay, that's uh, that's really a great memory for me. Uh, my number four now. Uh, you already said uh, uh, a lot better than me that we don't like miniatures, and I was thinking <laughs> about it. That I mean, uh, I don't like miniatures. Uh, Not only because I don't, it's not actually the aesthetics, it's also practically that I cannot really distinguish the one master from the other when I see Mm. it. So it's very hard for me. I was thinking like I really, in Dead of Winter, I really prefer the standees where there are I think it's
0: it's because we we don't paint miniatures. Like, If you paint a miniature, it's much clearer.
1: Yeah, 100% true. That's true. Yeah. (laughs) But yeah, we don't have the time to do that. So, yeah. I was, so I was thinking about meeples. And the first thing that came to my mind is that it's amazing that there is a game that uses six different meeples. And <laughs> that makes the game amazing. And that <laughs> game is chess. Oh, <laughs> no. You, you have to not, include it somehow. That's not my number four, though. But, oh. it, but it crossed my mind. And honestly, I love yeah. that you just call
0: chess pieces
1: meeples. That's hilarious. I, I mean, if you, think, yeah, if you think about it, it's just wooden pieces with a different shape. <laughs> so my favorite shape of a wooden piece is, uh-huh. is in game Camel Up. The camels. Yes. I was thinking, they, these guys, they had this very simple problem. Uh, it's a racing game. And when you are arriving in a, in a spot, if you arrive last, then you play first in the next round. So they yes. made these camels with a special curve in their back where each camel can stand on top of the other. I think they're called have... the humps. <laughs> oh, thank you. So, <laughs> so it's so amazing that like all of the camels, I think it's a, it's a five-player game or a six-player game. So yeah. all, all six of them, can be on the top of the of the other five, so it, it, it's a, it's an amazing uh, idea. The concept is great. Its camel has a different color, of course, and it's my number four.
0: Oh, it's interesting. You know, when I when I uh, I thought of coming up for a second. I thought about the pyramid, right? You know how the dice are in the pyramid, and then you and I was thinking that's just more annoying than anything um, so I'm glad you went with the meeples of the camel instead of the pyramid for camel up but um, it's a very interesting choice I, I wouldn't agree with it um, I I don't want much what about satisfaction
1: what about chess? Chess is a
0: better pick for me
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> but no but I respect it you know I think it's a, anyway My mine's even simpler okay than a meeple but also way cooler because you know me with the cool factor. I'm the cool guy in this box.
1: <laughs> You're the cool guy
0: <laughs> in
1: the classroom. So
0: I, I backed this game on Kickstarter, and I, I'm the, it's the game I'm most proud of that I backed on Kickstarter because it was made by a dude in his garage with a laser cutter. It came in a wooden box, and it's uh. a good, light, economic game. Yakitori. Oh um, yeah. In Yakitori, you're you're your street vendors making and selling yakitori. And you have to buy ingredients when they're low on the market and sell them when there's demand, right? And and that's the basic game. But the way that you you, you signify you have skewers, and then you get these blocks of like pork, chicken, veggie, whatever, and you slide them onto the skewers, and then as time goes on, they go further in the skewer, which signifies how like overcooked it is or how cooked it is and things get uh, more valuable based on how cooked they are because you don't want things to be you don't want veggies to be overcooked you don't want meat to be undercooked and so on and you're using skewers and then when you cook them you flip the skewer around <laughs> so it's literally like you're a yakitori person flipping a skewer around And i was thinking he could have just given you a player board where you take the things and just move them along and then flip the token when it's cooked but instead you get a skewer and it just makes gives you so much more pleasure in the game it serves a function it, you get to like flip it as if you're flipping you know yakitori and it tra- takes the game from a, a decent good light economic game to a really fun quirky awesome thing that i'm so proud to own there it is number four yeah what'd you think
1: uh yakitori was in my honorable mentions as okay. you said, the skewer is amazing. The reason that he didn't make it to the list is because I didn't like the rest of... The, I mean, how the skewer is uh, combined with the pieces. So mm. the guy had to, to make wooden pieces in order to uh, you know get on the skewer. And the game was not beautiful. And I thought that it was more fiddly that it should be and things like that. So I didn't, practically I thought it was, it I can really understand work. that. There's
0: no, there's no actual art, but remember that the whole game is just laser cut wood, right? Like there's no, there is no other art in the game, right? So I don't think that if he didn't do the skewers, he would have had art instead. I think it was done in true. his garage. True, true, true. So, yeah, that's a good yeah.
1: pick. Yeah. Okay. So my number three, Where's my number three? <laughs> oh yeah, I found it. Okay, so uh, when I was thinking about these games, I was thinking about the magnifying glass in Micro Macro. Have you ever played Micro Macro? Mm. No. It's a. It's basically. A, uh, oh, have you seen these books? Uh, Where's Wally? Uh, yes. Yeah, so it's exactly that. It's a it's a huge poster, like one by one meter. So
0: where's Waldo for our American audience?
1: Thank you. <laughs> yeah. And uh, uh, there are things going on uh, on the poster, and you're trying to find out that there is a story unfolding if you if you just uh, go through the right uh, moments uh, and the right roads of the of this city that is depicted uh, in the poster. And the game comes with, uh, uh, I thought it was coming with a magnifying glass, but then then I realized, no, I bought the magnifying glass. (laughs) Thank you (laughs) for
0: wasting all our time. (laughs) Exactly.
1: Because the game actually comes with a small plastic thing that tries to magnify things, but you cannot see anything. Got it. But because of that, what came to my see how I'm mentioning other games? Yeah, yeah, you're doing good.
0: You're doing good. <laughs>
1: what came to my mind is that my favorite component that I was so excited to play the games just to use this component is the compass in Treasure Island. And when I say the compass, actually I don't I don't mean the compass. I, I mean the, the, it was me, it was named the caliper tool. Yeah, it was the, 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 the tool to tweezer, draw a circle. Yes.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: So you were using a tool to draw a circle on a map on a, on a board actually with a marker to find the treasure because you are in a treasure island. How cool is that? Yeah. <laughs> yep. So So that, my number three is the I, caliper. Well,
0: um, my number three is the compass and calipers from Treasure Island.. <laughs>
1: oh.
0: <laughs> we have the same number three. Uh, I wrote cartography tools from Treasure Island. The compass, the calipers, the rulers, everything. That game, it made you feel like you were looking for treasure on a treasure map. I thought it was super cool. The one thing I wish it had better was better markers. So people have figured it out on BGG because the markers aren't clear on the board. So people have figured out that if you get liquid chalk markers, that looks super clear. And you can get ones that fit the compass and everything. So... Uh, could not agree more. My number three is The Compass from Treasure Island. It's really
1: a game that you can buy just to use the components.
0: Oh yeah, 100%. (laughs) We we tried so hard to demo it, because I wanted to buy it, but I I had limited luggage space when we were in, I only had one full suitcase of games, you know? Uh, So, and then all my clothes were in my backpack. Uh, So we only had limited space when we were at and we could never get a seat. Every day, multiple times we tried. So in the end, I just bought it because I was like, what's the worst that could happen? I'm going to have the compass and calipers and it's going to be a fun, like, experience. You know, I love cartography. I'm not, I don't understand it very well. And I don't, you know, but like, if a book is about maps, like, not like Epo Epo loves actual maps, but mm-hmm. if the if like the story is based on like something hidden in a map, I'm like, all right, I'm buying it <laughs> I like read it so, I'm glad uh, you did so, yeah, uh, and I think we both kind of like maps for different reasons, but we both like maps, and that uh, it definitely is the closest thing to making you feel like, as opposed to the game, the uh, cartographers, which feels nothing like map making. Uh, or of what I imagine mapping. This one feels like you're a pirate looking for treasure on this island. So, you know, very cool.
1: Treasure Island, also my number three. Okay, so moving on to my number two. You you cannot escape, it's it's very hard to escape in this top five from Jolkin. Uh, Jolkin has these gears where there are tribes that place their workers on giant connected gears. And as the gears rotate, they take the workers to different action spots. So they, they make different actions. So it's a very weird concept where it's worker placement, but every round your uh, meeples are in different space because of this gear. So the, the mechanism is amazing. The component is great. But I feel that the same job or a similar job is really done better in the game noria wow where, really where the uh, there is this uh, it's more cool for me. okay maybe it's not uh, it's not done better but it's really more no i mean cool. i
0: love noria but what really <laughs> anyway, <go laughs> ahead. it's the wheel there
1: it's uh the the noria has this mechanism that they call wheel building so each player has an action wheel, consisting of three rings with slots for a number of different action discs. So over the course of the game, players try to obtain new discs and manipulate the rings of the wheel to optimize their action selection. It's a very good pick. It's a very it's, good pick. Uh, I don't want to spend more time explaining how exactly this works because I really don't remember, and it's, it's kind no, of No, com- no, but basically by like
0: mani- manipulating the three levels of it so each of the three levels rotate independently and they have a different number of axes that have actions on them you can line up different combinations of actions so you're you're manipulating and building this three level wheel over time to to enhance and be more efficient with your actions and it is a wonderful mechanism and a beautiful component i i think that's an excellent pick well done. Thank you. I'm a little jealous that I didn't think of that one. I I, I didn't think of it at all. So uh, even now, when you said Noria, I was thinking, what's like Zulkin and Noria? And I was like, oh my god! <laughs> you get the whole wheel in front. Of you. <laughs> yeah, that was my number uh, two, Noria. they Excellent wheel. pick. So my number two is the gears from Zulkin. <laughs> oh, see.
1: <laughs> I'm, I'm very. Excited. Uh, at least I, I know our number our num- one now.
0: Our number ones are going to be different because you haven't played this. So I I think, yeah. So the gears from Zulkin are amazing because everything he said, everything Ippo said about moving workers on five different action zones simultaneously, fucking cool. But on top of that, the game is about the calendar. The game is called Zulkin the Mind Calendar. And this game integrates time as a central concept to the game, I adore it, and it look and the fact that it's got like gears is even cooler. Um, I think when I was just starting out in the, in the hobby, Tom Vassel on the Dice Tower was like, "I was so disappointed because you only move it a little bit. I wanted to like spin it really fast." And I'm like, <laughs> "No, like, 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 we're not, we're not. Like, this is not like." You I'm know, I'm gonna guess even, he just changed his mind. Maybe, but you can find toys that you can spin very fast. And there's really more,
1: more mature now, I think. <laughs> is he? Okay, I hope yeah, so. Yeah.
0: But the, I haven't watched <laughs> ice Star in years, but the point is if you just rotate that central cog, five different action wheels rotate at different paces using the magic of gears. And um, it's really wonderful. I could not uh, respect it more. And it's one of the few games I wish I still had. Especially that I painted the gears on oh. my copy, but I think I, I I sold it to Diego, and I yeah. kinda regret getting rid of that one. So, um, because it's not the same playing it on Board Game Arena. Like, you need to feel that central cog yeah. rotating. It. It's part of the magic. So, uh, gears from Zulkin and really good pick with Noria. I really. Respect that pick. I, I, it would have
1: made my list for sure. Definitely better than the rubber bands and Stellar Conflict. So. <laughs> you just made me think that I want to play Zolkin again and uh, since you mentioned that Diego has the game, okay, Diego, Yeah. if you listen to this got, podcast.
0: <laughs> and it's got painted gears which I painted myself. Which was amazing. Yeah, I still yeah, remember They that. look really good. Yeah. so yes, right, number we had, one.
1: Number one. We, we really have a different number one and it's kind of hard for me to explain why this component is in number one. And the only thing I, uh, the only reason I can explain it with is because when you say uh, top five components, it's, it was the first thing that came to my mind. And every time, time somebody says uh, beautiful components, this is the first time that comes to my mind. And it's a meeple from uh, a game it's it's an actual uh meeple in a game of what uh like like the elephant in uh, john company or the the panda in takinoko but this is really more beautiful and it's the behemoth in Fudum. interesting <laughs> so this again I guess this goes back to emotions as as it did with the El Grande game where the impression that this meeple made to me is still in my mind. I mean, the the only way that I can describe this is that it's uh, Behemoth is a big monster on a board. He's adorable. That it's kind (laughs) of adorable, kind of strange. It's, uh, it wears stripes (laughs) <laughs> and you need to go and google behemoth b e h e m o t h in the game feudum f e u d u m and just uh, uh, tell for yourselves that I think, was my number one.
0: I think I think feudum is one of the most beautiful games ever. Like it's up there. Um, for me it is. And yeah. I try I tried to integrate it somehow. But I, I, the Baymouth, you f- sometimes forget it's on the board. Like it—it's not as like integral to the game. Like it could have been a token, right? So um, I didn't sure, feel like it—it yeah. ad- it added to the value of the game other than just being beautiful. No. But then by that rationale, there were so many games that also came to my mind. So I had to remove that. But I love the game in any way we can include it. I even thought about trying to include. The uh, push-pull system of the guilds and feudum as like part of the components, but it just it felt like a stretch. So um anyway, I I I I, I like that you included it, but you know I, I don't have it on mine. But beautiful stuff, weird LSD trip, uh, uh, baroque dream art uh, in that miniature, and it's it's just wonderful. Well done. My number one game is my number one component is from a game. I hate, Um, and not just hate, I went on a rant about this game on this part, the rant of all rants, because I spent over $200 on this game as a gift to my wife, and it was a piece of trash that barely functioned that required the use, it required someone to spend some development time with it. And it's very clear that nobody did. This is the game, The Enigma Box, right? Which was my biggest disappointment ever. But the piece in it is the Anubis figure in the game. So this kind of combines a lot of the other stuff we're talking about. So the Anubis figure is a figurine of, of Anubis, the Egyptian god, holding over his head uh, a ring. Like a circular ring over his head. And in the game, you have this map that you're working with, and you have, you know, cartography tools like rulers and stuff. And one of the puzzles, the Anubis puzzles, you figure out a specific location on the map based on the hints and clues and stuff that you figure out. You place him on that location, and then you rotate him in a certain direction based on another thing that you figure out. Once you have him in that location and that and that um, location, here's the cool part, Ippo. You look through the circle that he's holding on top of his head, and that gives you a location <laughs> on the map that you have to go to. Like the the functional shape of that thing. After you figure out where to place him or where to point him, you stare. Through the thing he's holding over his head, and that opens. up... I felt like Indiana Jones, man. It's
1: I like, <laughs> what is happening? Are
0: you Are you looking for a picture? Is that what you're? Yes, going yes. On?
1: I, I I saw it. Yeah, I found it. It's like ba- Batman's uh, mask or something. <laughs> I guess. But he,
0: he's just he's holding this circle, and then you use all these cartography tools and rulers and stuff. The the, the the clues in the game suck which is part of the issue like the, the actual like logic behind it is fuzzy sometimes and you're like well I got to this number it doesn't feel like an end point but I guess we should try it since we're here and so, so that's kind of why the game failed because it needed a developer for me um, but that that icon to me was just the most I have enjoyed a component in a game Placing that icon, rotating that statue, and staring through the circle over his head to see where on the map it was referring to to unlock our next clue was incredible. And that's why it, it was beautiful. It had the map thing involved in it. it. It was functionally integral to the game. It made the game experience better. And it was actually the only thing I liked about that game. But boy... <laughs> I sure did like that many. So there you go. The Anubis figure figurine from the Enigma box is my number one.
1: Amazing. Amazing. Thank you. That was a great top five. And uh, actually, I just realized that I had some honorable mentions because I had them in my bottom of my list. <laughs> and one of them is Yakitori nice. that we talked about. The other one is uh, Tikal. Have you ever played Tikal? I have. It's an uh, action points game from 1999. The same designer with El Grande, which is Wolfgang Kramer. The, it's a German designer who has the age of my father. So he's 81 now. And <laughs> and the guy in Tikal, uh, Tikal is, is a game about uh, the Mexican pyramids. So you are laying so, down. So, what do you like the the pyramids or the? So, the... so listen. So, there, the, you have tiles that you lay down, and when you're building the first la- the first uh, uh, layer of the pyramid, it's a bigger tile. It's, it's a square tile, but it's bigger. So, when you do the mm. second layer, it's smaller, and as as you go up, it, it's smaller. So, it creates the pyramid. The, it creates an Aztec <laughs> pyramid with just cardboard tiles. Yeah. So how amazing, remember again, we're talking 1999. So it's very It's somewhat, very, le- it's some very somewhat less
0: impressive than building a pyramid with stone. But uh, <laughs> but uh, I suppose... It, it, it's very yeah. cheap
1: and very impressive at the same time for the, again, relevant to the era that this came out. I also thought about Tobago. Do you remember that game, Tobago?
0: Yes. The island it has I thought. Easter, I thought about it. Yeah. Yeah. And the, the the Easter the uh the Moai statues, Moai-esque statues, they rotate, and wherever they're pointing at, that's where the next like uh, I think it's like a, like a some sort of like necklace or something that gives you special abilities. That's the next place it's going to be found on the shores. So it's like, oh, they're, they're, but, but at the same time, I felt like it was just, I just liked it because it looked super cool as a Moai statue. So.
1: What, what uh, is that? Wait, I, when you said Tobago, I was thinking about uh, the game where there is a boat in the middle and you jump from the ship. Oh, the...
0: no, no, not that Tobago. Tobago is the one we played. You've only played it on BGA, I think, but I've played it. I, I own the game. It's oh. uh, it's the one where you're 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 figuring out where the clues are on the board by playing cards to remove options. So this treasure is not within three spaces of a palm tree, and then you're driving your truck oh. there to to excavate it. We played it on BGA; it. it wasn't that fun. But if you look at the uh, the Moai statues on it, they rotate from turn to turn, and yeah,
1: it's super cool looking. But I couldn't really get it past the fact that it looks super cool. Like, I was considering Tobago because you have this little uh, boat that uh, people are jumping from the island to the boat and then to the ship, and or from the ship to the boat. But I think this component is uh, in a deluxe edition. It's uh, the basic game. It's just a uh, board. So, Which Tobago but, are you talking about? The, the 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 party game? Sorry, it's not Tobago. It's Tortuga. Tortuga. That's the one. Yeah. Okay. yeah so that's out Trituga uh,
0: 1667
1: right the yes. one that's in a book yeah Yeah. yeah. also Everdell has this amazing yeah. tree that it's completely useless and annoying <laughs> annoying because you can't see like yeah. stuff like it's, but it's still like,
0: beautiful <laughs> very beautiful but if it doesn't help the gameplay I have no interest
1: in it so um, so these were yeah. uh, these were my honorable mentions plus maybe wavelength. I like the the way that they solved the problem of how to uh, narrow down. the... It's okay. It's okay. It, it, it feels <laughs> flimsy. If I was gonna pick
0: anything there, I'd pick something like uh, what's it called? Uh, Decrypto. because you have the like the cards that you can't read unless you slide into
1: the. That's also kind of useless, I mean... Yeah,
0: which is why I didn't pick it or put
1: it on my honorable mentions, (laughs) (laughs) Because I'm a grown-up, all right? I'm mature. (laughs) You are amazing. You hit an amazing top five once again. Uh, For our listeners, I I want to say that please don't forget to let us know what's your top five game components. And you can do that over at our board game... uh, What? uh, Geek... uh, uh, Guild uh, Sorry it disappears from my 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 notes disappeared At our Board Game geek Guild <laughs> Elias <laughs> and, you can, and you can find the link To that in our episode Descriptions I'm not gonna say this You're not gonna say bad, it <laughs> Bad words that put In my uh, uh, notes uh, To quote no.
0: people from episode 35 You morons <laughs>
1: It's a love and hate uh, relationship with our
0: listeners. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you morons, that brings us to the end of this Tabletop Session. Thank you for listening. Make sure to follow us on Instagram at Tabletop Sessions. Join the conversation, share a fun story of board game shenaniganism, and let us know what your top five was this month over at our Board Game Geek Guild. And as Ipo said, you can find the link to both of these in the episode description. As I said at the top of the episode, we also started a YouTube channel where you can listen to these podcasts for free and watch some gaming sessions of me swearing at inanimate objects because I'm losing. (laughs) We'll be back in a month. And until then, to quote one of my favorite writers, God damn it, you've got to be kind. Say bye, Ipo. Bye.
1: Tabletop, 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 top. Table, top, top. Table, top. Table, top. Table, top, top. Table, table, top. Table, table, top. Table, table, top. Top. <laughs> <laughs> that was the worst buy ever. Stop. I stop, right? Stop.